The Truth News Network. When Star Trek begins to look like a documentary and reality begins to look like science fiction, where do you go to keep your head screwed on straight? It's not easy. The media certainly aren't helping, and governments worldwide don't want it. Well, we're here to help. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And we'll feed you truth all day, all night, if necessary. And the man with the big spoon is Dan Newman. Yeah, I got a big spoon full of truth, full of facts right here. And we're going to share those with you. Some are new, some not so new, but all of them are important. You know why? Because they're truths. We got to find ways to lock in on that. There is so much disinformation around. I'll tell you more about that as we get into the show today. I've been inundated with texts and emails and phone calls wanting information about Mike Johnson. Now, much of that comes from the fact that he is a very frequent guest on our show, TNN Live. He comes here at least once a month, depending on how, quote unquote, hot things get in Washington, D.C. And it comes because he's a friend of mine. And people know that I know somebody. Let me put that in perspective. When you know somebody, you really know somebody, you're in a different sphere with that person in your relationship than those who just know some things about that same person. There's a huge difference between knowing about somebody and knowing that same person. I know Mike Johnson. Some of my closest friends in media have excoriated me because I'm a supporter of Mike Johnson. So I was happy to hear that he was going to be with Sean Hannity on Fox News last night on the Hannity show, and I was more shocked that they sat down uninterrupted for 41 minutes, and Sean Hannity, as he knows, everybody knows he, he's really good about asking tough questions. He's not a bad guy. He comes off, Sean does, to most people, as a friendly guy, and he's hesitant sometimes. He doesn't want to appear like he's attacking whoever he's interviewing. And I respect that a lot. But he kind of comes off as, well, you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I got to ask this. And at the top of that interview, that 41-minute interview, that was the way Sean started. And Mike just answered every question. I mean, better than I could even think he could possibly one day in Congress as a House Speaker, answer those questions. Because Sean, he didn't hesitate. He went right for the juggler. And I sat there for 41 minutes, and I turned to my wife, Mary Ann, and I asked her at the end of it, can you believe how he handled those questions and what his answers were? So I'm going to challenge all of you in just a few minutes. I've got something in mind that will be very important for all of us, and you're going to like it because you're going to have to hardly do anything to do what I'm going to suggest that we all do. You know, facts are really interesting when you put them in a vacuum and you don't try to analyze the facts themselves. One of the nasty 
emails that I got was from, and you know this guy's name, I'm not going to mention his name, but he reached out to me and just excoriated Mike Johnson because he did this and he wants to do that. And I just let the guy roll. We talked on the phone. I just let him roll along. And I listened to him, and he he would stop every once in a while and say, what do you think about that? And I would say, it's not true. Well, how do you know it's not true? You don't live with Mike Johnson? And I said, no, I live about four miles from Mike Johnson. (laughs) I'm not in his house. But I know him because I've interacted with him on numerous levels for a number of years. And I wouldn't call us best buddies. But we have an amazing relationship because I respect him. I don't agree with everything Mike Johnson does or thinks or says, those things that I know about. I don't necessarily agree with all of them, but you know what? We live in the United States of America. President Joe Biden reminds us of that every day when a microphone gets stuck in his face or he finds a teleprompter to read from. We have the First Amendment. We all have a right to our own opinions. But let me tell you, this will explain my relationship with Mike Johnson. I confront him, and I do it in a very respectful way. Just because we may disagree on some things doesn't mean he's good and I'm bad or I'm good and he's bad. It means we honor the First Amendment. And we don't force or try to force anyone else into the same mindset on anything as we have. They have as much right to think what they think as I do. And I respect that. And by the way, that is one of the top reasons why the United States of America has lasted 240 years because we respect people's rights and we double respect them because our forefathers thought it was going to be so important to protect all of our individual rights that they codify that and they pinned 10 amendments to the Constitution. Now, none of those amendments destroy or do away with any of the articles that they put in the Constitution when they crafted it. They just wanted to better state their intentions, our forefathers, when they created the government of the United States. And all of this, all of it's right in the middle of it. So again, I've got something extra special I'm going to tell you about in just a couple of minutes. And of course, the world keeps spinning round in space. And that means we've got another morning here in the United States for most of our country. Hawaii's not quite awake yet. Maybe you wish you were on the beach in Hawaii. It's one of the greatest places on the earth to vacation if you've never been there. And if you want to go and get some suggestions, reach out to me, Dan, at truthnewsnet.org. I'll be able to give you a suggestion or two. All that being said, today, this Friday, we always play two songs on this show, one at the top and one to end it. Today is Michael McDonald Day at TNN Live. Now, those of you who know me on a personal level, you know I am a Michael McDonald fan. And here's one of his best, and it fits today. 
sweet freedom. We love the freedom we have. No more running down the wrong road. Dancing to a different drum. Can't you see what's going on? Deep inside your heart. Always searching for the real thing. Living life is far away. Just leave all the madness in yesterday. You're holding the key when you believe it. Shine, sweet freedom, shining out on me. You are the magic, you're right where I want to be. Come, sweet freedom, scatter me out. We'll keep the spirit alive, holding on. Ooh. In the moonlight, smiling with the rising sun, living like we've never done, going all the way, reaching out to make the changes, touching every shining star. Maybe you don't like some of the things our government is doing it. Maybe you're like me. I don't like a lot of things our government is doing. What we can just remind ourselves of is that this is still the United States of America. It is still a government of, by, and for the people. And as bad as things may get, and if you look in your rearview mirror and people that are 95 years old look in their rearview mirror and they see far more than we do today because of their age and it discourages you, don't obsess over the past. Just take the past and use it. Use it to make life better for all of you. 
That's easy enough. Where else on the planet? I mean, even in the European Union, Australia, Germany, Mexico, Canada, those citizens don't have the same exact freedoms as we do in the United States. Now, there are many that are taking them away very surreptitiously, quietly, and some of us never even realize it. You never know what you have until it's gone. Have you heard that line in that song? That's a real truth. We really don't think about it because many times, many of us are not grateful for what we have. We get angry and lustful for the things that we don't have. And you know one of the best fundamentals of the government of the United States of America, nobody promises anybody equality in anything except one. The only thing our government guarantees us is the rights that go along with being a citizen of the United States that are codified in the United States Constitution. And that includes a chance for everyone to achieve whatever things they want to achieve in their lives. It doesn't guarantee that they'll achieve them, but you got the chance. You have the opportunity, and that opportunity belongs to you. No one can take it away from you. That would be something that's an everyday thing that happens in places like China, North Korea, Russia, and even a bunch of African nations that are top-down heavy where you're apt to get slaughtered if you disagree with your government. We're a really blessed nation. So what's that special thing I told you that we have for you? Many, as I said, were unable to or didn't know about that Hannity interview last night with brand new House Speaker Mike Johnson. So I thought it was so important I wanted to make sure that everybody, and I mean everybody, has a chance to see it. I've I've received numerous phone calls and texts since the House selected Mike Johnson as Speaker. Some of the calls were because Congressman Johnson is a frequent guest on this show. Others reached out because of my longtime friendship with Mike. You know, you don't necessarily really know somebody because of their job. You know somebody as if you get to spend a little time together and ask questions and watch what they do when they're not in the spotlight and how they live, know their family and know some things about their family members. Some of those calls and stuff happen because of that. And I I tried my best to dispel as many of the negative perspectives about Representative Johnston that I knew, but I was delighted to learn He was going to sit with Sean Hannity last night, October 26th. Sean Hannity at Fox News. I had no concept of how he would handle it, he being Mike Johnson, or how Sean Hannity would treat him. From the beginning of that interview to the very last question asked and answered, 41 minutes later, 41 minutes later, Mike Johnson made clear his opinions on every issue Hannity voiced. And there were a lot of very negative allegations out in the marketplace of ideas politically. And Johnson never dodged. 
He never tried to deflect any of it. He came right down the middle and answered every single question. So some of you are probably saying, darn it, I missed the show. Well, guess what I did? I'll make your seeing it very simple. We captured the show, and we bring it to you right here on our website, truthnewsnet.org, www.truthnewsnet.org. You can watch it by clicking an arrow that you'll see in the YouTube video homepage. Now, don't leave the show and go jump on it right now. Don't do that. I'm actually not going to punch it up to go live until the very end of the show. But I've got one request for each of you. Please download and share this video with someone else. And also, if you're not a, uh, a member, if you don't have a subscription, which is basically free, they just have your name and email address at YouTube. If you don't have that, you might want to do it so you can download this video and hang on to it. Trust me when I tell you this. This, what happened last night, what those two men discussed, asked and answered last night, Sean Hannity and Congressman Mike Johnson, are for the ages. At the very end of it, I turned to Marianne and said, that was very Reagan-ish. Oh, no, Dan, don't go there. <laughs> don't even intimate that Mike Johnson might be another Ronald Reagan. I didn't say that. I said Reaganish. Ronald Reagan had a very simple method to speak directly to Americans. And he never talked down to any American or anyone else for that matter. But he was very matter of fact. And he didn't get out on the edge of things, but he went right to the heart, the important elements of any controversial thing that he dealt with when he was president of the United States those eight years. Eight of the best years in many, many ways that many of us lived. Mike Johnson learned something from him. By the way, for those of you that don't know it, he had a very successful career as a constitutional attorney. He's uh, argued cases before the United States Supreme Court. He's not what I call a traditional lawyer. He doesn't stand up in front of people and pontificate trying to win a case for a client. He goes straight for the heart. And so, as soon as this show is over, if you got to leave early, just remember sometimes later to come back truthnewsnet.org. On the front page, you'll see a picture of Congressman Mike Johnson, and uh, it has up top the notification that here's the full video of his interview with Sean Hannity last night, and feel free to download and share it. You need to learn as much as you can, not just about the House Speaker, but about everybody up there that's governing the nation, and I'm sure you agree with me when I say that. So let's move on. We have so many different things to get into today. I'm going to have a hard time getting the important things, have time to get them for you to hear about, but we're going to do our darndest. Yesterday, a big day. 
Republican senators introduced legislation to solely provide aid to Israel in the aftermath of the Hamas terrorist attacks. Now, that's contrary to President Biden's request to tie Israel and Ukraine funding together. Biden asked the gang for a $105 billion package that combines aid for Israel and Ukraine, as well as funding to defend Taiwan from China and secure our southern border. The Israel Supplemental Appropriations Act of 2023, that's what they titled it, co-sponsored by GOP Senators Roger Marshall of Kansas, J.D. Vance of Ohio, Ted Cruz of Texas, and Mike Lee of Utah. It would give $14.3 billion to Israel. My colleagues and I firmly believe that any aid to Israel should not be used as leverage to send tens of billions of dollars, more dollars, to Ukraine. That makes sense to me. Any package that does so would result in funds and resources being delayed in Israel's time of need. That's what Senator Marshall said in a statement. The legislation we've introduced provides the aid to Israel requested by the Biden administration and should be considered by the Senate immediately. So what's in it? It would designate $10.6 billion in assistance via the Department of Defense, $3.5 billion for foreign military funding, $200 million in diplomatic financings. It is essential that the U.S. provide support for our allies in Israel. That assistance should not depend on whether we continue to provide aid to Ukraine. Senator Vance, J.D. Vance said that. Despite what the president claims, they are unique conflicts that should be handled individually. Misguided attempts to combine them will only delay Israel receiving the support they need. Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader, he's been a strong advocate for Ukraine aid. He appears supportive of Biden's request, but he will likely push for more border security provisions. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. Ukraine and Israel are distinct, important issues, and Congress should have the opportunity to consider and vote on prospective aid packages individually. That's Mike Lee, constitutional attorney from Utah. It is unreasonable for the administration to exploit an aid package for Israel to siphon off billions of taxpayer dollars in yet another blank check for Ukraine. And just a note from me, do you realize there is no checks and balances? There's no auditing, no provisions whatsoever. Our government has no clue where a dime of those billions of dollars that we gave from the very beginning of this invasion by Russia to Ukraine. We have no idea. Their president, Volodymyr Zelensky, he calls everybody in government around Europe and other parts of the world with a handout. Hey, give me some more money. Other Republican senators have also criticized Biden's aid request is trying to use the war in Israel to push more funding for Ukraine as it fights against Russian aggression. And that includes Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, Mike Braun of Indiana, and Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming. Russia still needs to be defeated. Taiwan still needs to be defended. This bill 
is about one thing and one thing only, getting our Israeli allies the aid that they need today as fast as possible for as long as it takes them to utterly eradicate Hamas. That was Senator Ted Cruz. Biden's request has also come under fire by House Republicans. Mike Garcia of California calling the package the worst thing that could be done for Israel. So, this is far from over. I think everybody agrees we need to help Ukraine, still, but everybody agrees the help and assistance for Israel, it's got to take top shelf right now because Hamas and other Iran proxies are killing people. I mean, randomly, we don't care if you're not an Islamist that you don't represent or belong to Hamas, Hezbollah, or some of the other Islamic extremist organizations. You don't even deserve to live. It's not quite that same thing in Ukraine. Now, Texas, the state of Texas, They are under fire by many on the left right now. Listen to what they've done. A Democrat in the Texas House yelled, yelled, not like Yale University. (laughs) Not talking about that. Talking about screamed at his colleagues as the Texas legislative body passed a package of three border security bills early yesterday. The Texas House of Representatives passed bills. Here's what they do. Allow police officers to apprehend and remove illegal immigrants by making illegal entry from Mexico into Texas a state crime. It's already a federal crime, and Joe Biden's administration made it very clear to Texas, you have no immigration immigration enforcement authority in your state because it's a federal thing. It ain't anymore just federal. It will be a crime, a Texas crime. Funded construction of additional border barriers to stop illegal entry. It increases mandatory minimum sentences for those convicted of human smuggling Tempers flared after Republican state rep Cody Harris sought to limit debate and limit amendments on the bills. It hurts it, it hurts us to our effing core. That came from Democrat state rep Armando Lucio Wally, told Harris in a confrontation on the floor during a break, according to a video posted on social media. And you don't understand that you don't live in our skin. And that that's what pisses me off. Now think about that. That last line was spoken by state rep Ana Maria Ramos, obviously Hispanic. And she's referencing, now when she said, you don't understand that, you don't live in our skin. Is she a Texan? Is she a Mexican? Is she from some other Hispanic country? No, she's an American. Now, the approach that she took, the Democrat state rep, and her name again, Anna Marie Ramos, 
is one of a Hispanic American, which she is. But the Constitution and the Constitution of Texas, for that matter, have their own provisions and include laws, the U.S. Constitution laws for our government's operations in our nation, and each of the 50 states have their own constitutions with the laws for their individual states. Now, if this law passes, it'll be signed into law quickly. It will be. And I promise you, it will be tested in federal court, state court first, but as it's, if it's rejected, it will be tested again and appealed. It will eventually get into federal courts. Now, what would be the premise do you think that they would do that for? Because, as Joe Biden has told Texans from the very beginning of his ascent into the White House, immigration is a federal thing. No state can take any action that supersedes any actions by the federal government. That's where it'll go. But here's the problem. Think about this. When I, when I was reading this story last night, this is what I thought about. It shouldn't matter in any court, state or federal. You know why? Because we don't enforce the federal immigration laws that are given by our U.S. Senate and House of Representatives. You know, the legal representatives of Americans regarding federal law. I tell you, I'm going to find a way when this thing ends up, and it'll eventually get into federal courts. I'm going to find a way to get into the courtroom to hear oral arguments, and I'm going to take a bag of popcorn and a big diet Pepsi in there because it's going to be a great show. And there will be constitutional attorneys on both sides, but on the conservative side, you know, the ones that want us to enforce our federal laws, but Joe Biden and his minions don't even think about enforcing any of them. And there'll be a bunch of very smart attorneys on the other side as well. It's going to be a show. It'll be one for the ages. Oh, by the way, just some numbers for you to think about. Over two and a half million illegal immigrants have been encountered at the U.S.-Mexico border during fiscal year 2023. Following 2.378 encounters in fiscal year 2022 and 1.734 encounters in fiscal year 2021. Greg Abbott, Republican governor of Texas, has been in a legal battle with the Biden administration over any and all of the barriers erected by state agencies to reduce or deter illegal immigration. I don't think there's any provision in the U.S. Constitution that addresses this. If Federal authorities refuse to enforce any laws and they're not enforcing federal laws infringes upon the rights of people that live in various states. States can take their own actions. There should be something in there about that, but I don't think there is. Tuesday of this week, the Biden administration sued Texas over the incidents where the Border Patrol agents cut barbed wire barriers the state erected 
on the border with Mexico to allow illegal immigrants to enter the United States. Now, Texas put those barbed wire fencing things up. Biden's folks cut them down. That's another little hoo-ha. It's going to be a good ride. But one thing just comes out of this that is so very obvious. We got to get something done down there. We got to get it done quickly because it is already out of hand. And we have no idea where this is going to go. And there's no even potential good ending to it. Now we're in this stage where we're asking one question and one only. How bad is the Biden administration let it, they're going to let it get to? How bad, how long will they hang on out there before they start forcing, enforcing the rule of law and enforcing others to enforce it? I don't think Joe Biden's ever going to go there. As long as the people that he supposedly are supposed to have oversight over him, over in the Senate side, they don't give a rip. And I hate to say it, but on the House side, House oversight, it doesn't matter what the legislators on either side of the Capitol decide to do or not do. When it comes to enforcing laws, there's one body that legally has the sole right to enforce laws against the federal government. Who would that be? The Attorney General, the U.S. Justice Department. That means Merrick Garland. He won't lift a finger unless Joe Biden tells him to do it. He doesn't enforce any federal laws that have anything that obfuscates anything the Democrat Party, the leftists in government want to happen, and they won't let anything happen that those people don't want to happen. One thing that Mike Johnson and Sean Hannity talked about last night, Sean asked Mike what he thinks about illegal immigration. And Mike said one thing, legally, we got to enforce the rule of law. We may not like the laws, and if we don't, we'll change them. But until and unless that happens, we've got to enforce the laws. And then he said this one thing, and Sean agreed with him. Americans every day become more and more sure that we have a two-tiered justice system in the United States. And the Biden administration, everybody in it, Democrats and especially the House of Representatives, but over on the Senate side as well. They don't care anymore. You get in their faces and they say, well, that's the way it is. You don't like it? Lump it. That's the way it's going to be as long as we're in power. You're at a restaurant just after a meal. The bill comes. Sir, here's your bill. Oh my gosh, it's a whopping amount. (gasps) You pass it on to the next person. He. He passes it on. He. And on. We. Nobody likes unpleasant surprises. Well, why should you? With the new Hutt's Delight Meals, you won't get any surprises in your bill. Just pure value. Enjoy your favorites every day, from pizzas, pastas, to sides and drinks. From as low as 14 ringgit per person. Available for dine-in only. 
Hello? Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say the that... What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step -step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Duncan. What's the biggest number you can think of? A trillion, billion, zillion. That's pretty big. How about you? Ten. Okay. How about you? Infinity. Can you top that? Infinity and one. Actually, we are looking for infinity plus infinity. Sorry. What about infinity times infinity? It's not complicated. Bigger is better. And AT&T has the nation's largest 4G network. Do you guys, you know the name, Jamal Bowman? Jamal Bowman is a member of the House of Representatives. He's from New York State. And he's very controversial. He is very left-leaning. And you've heard about him, even if you don't remember the name. He's the guy that pulled the fire alarm the day that they were trying to prevent a vote. They, being Democrats, were trying to prevent a vote to happen in the House of Representatives. Well, Bowman has been just daily, just bashed by a lot of people and defended by a lot of others. Who would defend what he did? <laughs> His fellow Democrats. And yesterday, he was arraigned. Now, he got off light. You would think it was a federal building. It was on Capitol grounds. And he violated the law. I would think it would be, you know, the law a federal law or whatever, but we find out it wasn't. It was a local law, Washington, D.C. So he went to court yesterday, and here's what Representative Bowman had to say when he came out. The guy who pulled the fire alarm right before a congressional vote. What are the charges? Misdemeanor for pulling that fire alarm three weeks ago at a congressional building, but Bowman is charged in a D.C. Superior Court. That's a local court, despite this happening on federal property. Um, so the charge is for falsely pulling that alarm during a House vote on a Republican bill to keep the government funded and open. Democrats were trying to stall that vote. Bowman says he did not do anything intentionally. And yes, he turned himself in this morning. Watch. As I said from the beginning, I was not trying to disrupt any, you know, official government proceedings. So I'm glad you know, the uh, investigation found that that was the case. Uh, the misdemeanor charge of pulling the alarm, I admitted that from the very beginning. So, you know, got to gotta take responsibility for it. Um, you know, we have a deal in place, so looking forward to uh, paying the fine and three months later it being dismissed and uh, hopefully continuing to do work in my district. Bowman's got one problem. Well, he may have more than one, but there's one that's very, very obvious. He pulled a fire alarm in the Cannon House office building right before that vote you just heard 
was going to be a vote on a stopgap spending measure to avert a government shutdown. Democrats wanted to delay it because they wanted to be able to wave in the air, look, Republicans want us to default on our debt. Here's the thing that you just heard Bowman say. I, was, I didn't know what I was doing. The video's pretty clear. You probably have seen the video. He tore two signs down that said this is not an exit. Literally tore them down, threw them on the floor, and then walked over and pulled the alarm. And he walked past multiple law enforcement officers on his way out of the building saying, hey, I made a mistake. I accidentally pulled the alarm. (laughs) There was nothing about it that was accidental. Now, what would the left be doing if Bowman happened to be, you know, one of those Democrats, their fellow Democrats? Oh, no Democrat would do anything like it wouldn't break the law. It had to be accidental. And I know Jamal, and he's a good guy, and he had a a hard youth growing up, we can't make him abide by the same laws that we do. He's African-American. Oh, my gosh. That's the way you're going to roll if you subscribe to the Democrat leftists, not just Democrats, but other. I hate to tell you this, but there are a few folks in America that are even lefter (laughs) than Mainstream Democrats. Yeah. By the way, I told you there's a lot of stuff going on around even more than we're normally dealing with on a daily basis. You probably haven't heard about this latest Russia's large-scale nuclear strike test drill. It very suspiciously didn't involve one of President Putin's most powerful weapons. Hmm. Hmm. It's a show of force, of course. It was reportedly meant to show Russia's ability to deliver a massive retaliatory nuclear strike if they were attacked. However, the newer Bulava and Sarmat missiles were not part of the drill yesterday. And that fact has some speculating. It means the weapons are not very reliable. A Yars Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, ICBM, was directed to a test site in the far eastern region of Russia. It was launched from the northwestern part of Russia, according to the Kremlin. A nuclear-powered submarine in the Barents Sea was the originating site for the launch of a Suneva ballistic missile, while Tu-95MS long-range bombers fired air-launched cruise missiles in the test strikes. Now, if you don't understand all of that, I don't either. Just know this. They wasted a lot of money doing these tests, and it's a really big deal they had all that equipment. The nuclear strike drill came on the heels of a decision by Russia's upper parliament to revoke ratification of the landmark Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, which prohibits, quote, any nuclear weapon test explosion or any other nuclear explosion anywhere in the world. In a statement, the Kremlin said the practical launches of ballistic and cruise missiles took place during the training. Training of strategic deterrence forces 
It involves practicing the task of delivering a massive nuclear strike in response to an enemy nuclear strike. Comrade Supreme Commander-in-Chief, in accordance with the training plan for the armed forces of the Russian Federation, under your leadership, training is being conducted to control the armed forces of the Russian Federation, during which the task of delivering a massive nuclear strike by strategic offensive forces in response to an enemy nuclear strike will be practiced. That was in a news release from a general in Russia that supervised this. Russian military expert Yuri Fedorov told another Russian investigative individual the site launched one of these operations back in 2021. And this person said that the fact that Moscow once again tested this Yarsh and Seneva ballistic missiles, despite having the newer Bulava and Sarmat missiles in its arsenal, suggests that the latter are either not available or they're not very reliable. Is that a big story? I don't know. It could be. And to be honest about my opinion personally on this thing, I feel this way. The more question marks we have about Russia's capability, and it would be normal, and especially with Vladimir Putin as president, for him to brag about and show every potential negative weapon that they could possibly use against the free world, and he didn't have that capability, that rings a bell that sounds a little good for the West and pretty bad for Russia. Of course, you heard of the UN debacle that happened this weekend. Something, I have a lot of problems with the United Nations. I don't think we should be in the UN. I certainly don't think that we should have allowed them to make their world headquarters on the south end of Manhattan. I don't like the way these people in the UN are treated with kid gloves when they come from terrorist countries around the world, warmongers, and they get to experience the good stuff in Manhattan. And if you know me, you know I love Manhattan. I love New York City. One of my favorite purses on the globe to go, places to go. Great food, great atmosphere, a lot a lot of different styles and social groups of people, people from all over countries. It's interesting, especially on the south part, the extreme southwest part of Manhattan. You can drive through neighborhoods, and I'm talking about just regular city streets, and you go on one block, and it's all Sicilian. You go across the street to the next block, and it's Greek. And they have different types of Southeast Asia. I mean, you've got Thai food. You've got Filipino food. All of that, all mixed together. It's a melting pot, truly. I love Manhattan. And I just don't like the fact these people from all over the world that are in the United Nations... They come to our country and they hate us, but they're able to on somebody's dime, and I know it cost us something. Nobody can tell me that the United Nations is paying 100% of the ticket. It, that's not possible. Just think about if the UN wasn't there. That property they're on, oh my gosh. It's worth billions of dollars. 
So as Biden's administration continues to publicly threaten what seems to be to many like an insane all-out war with Iran, Hossein Amir Abdullayan, Iran's foreign minister, was quietly granted a U.S. visa by the Biden State Department to come to the U.S. for the U.N. meetings. And he's still today in New York City. But here's the kicker for me. American taxpayers are paying for his, the foreign minister of Iran, his protection while he is here. According to journalist Amir Abdelayan, recently had a jovial meeting with Hamas leader Ishmael Hania in Qatar and Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah in Lebanon. So in other words, these guys are all hooked to each other. While part of the UN headquarters agreement requires the United States to grant visas to diplomats, there is precedent for denying visas to foreign ministers and other diplomats who engage in behavior counter to U.S. national security interests. Now, we're pretty sure that Hamas and Hezbollah, their interests don't align with ours. In fact, they don't think we should exist. The United States of America to the Muslim world, the radical Islamist Muslim world, the United States is the great Satan. And those Radicals in Iran, when they get on the streets and they start demonstrating burning U.S. flags and everything, they scream, death to America, death to Americans, over and over and over. And we're not only letting this guy come over, and I'm sure he's not visiting with his compadres on equal levels as he is in other countries. He's not sharing too much good news and thanks and happiness about the United States of America while he's here, and we're paying for it. Since Thursday, militias receiving funding and encouragement from Iran have launched rockets and one-way attack drones at bases housing U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. Speaking to the United Nations Security Council, this guy, he gave a speech. And he just totally denigrated Israel. And he had no good words to say to us. And it has raised international uproar. But after I heard his speech, and I listened to it, I wanted to see what he had to say. Of course, they had an interpreter there. But he was very demonstrative, and he made it very clear. They, Iran, don't think Israel has the right to exist. Don't think that Israeli people have any kind of democratic rights, and of course they don't have any for their citizens in Iran, that's faux pas. Nobody's going to have that in most Muslim nations. And he just blistered everything about Israel. Israel didn't have the right to retaliate after October 7th and the wee hours of that Saturday morning. They just slaughtered 1,200 Israeli people. Now, how do you think they would feel if the president of the United States, not this one, this one would never say a negative word about Iran, never has, never will. If he says anything about Iran, he'll couch it in such a way that it sounds like, well, you know, they're trying to get along with everybody and that's the way they do it 
in Iran, something like that. But let's just say when Donald Trump was in the White House, do you think this guy, first of all, would be allowed to come to New York City to the United Nations? Biden's Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, is the one that agreed to give the war minister of Iran a visa to even come here. That would have never happened. Therefore, there would have never been such a speech given from the floor. And under Trump, this guy would, if he had found a way to get to Manhattan, to the UN, to speak, he would be banned permanently, would never be allowed back. But that wouldn't happen because he wouldn't be here in the first place. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I just wanted to make you know and understand what happened. Big news in Trump world, special counsel Jack Smith's office told the federal judge Wednesday that the gag order she issued against former President Trump in that 2020 election case is necessary to ensure a trial, quote, listen to this is what they said, ensure a trial untainted by harassment, intimidation, and threats. District Judge Tanya Chutkin temporarily paused the gag order that she issued, and she banned in that order for Trump to make any public statements targeting Smith or his staff, court staff, and any witnesses or the substance of their testimony last week while she's considering his request for a longer stay on the other pending appeal. So in a 32-page Wednesday night court filing, prosecutors asked the judge to maintain that gag order, alleging that Trump will, quote, continue to threaten the integrity of these proceedings and put trial participants at risk without court intervention. They didn't give any examples of it. You know why? Trump just simply is exercising his First Amendment rights. Just because you're a former president and you're running for one now and you have some stupid civil cases, and this is civil case that we're talking about, that doesn't nullify your First Amendment rights. That fact, that it doesn't nullify your First Amendment rights, that's been proven in the U.S. Supreme Court to be truthful. The filing continued, the defendant knows the effect of his targeting and seeks to use it to his strategic advantage while simultaneously disclaiming any responsibility for the very acts he causes. And of course, that is an allegation. None of that has even been brought into court yet, yet alone him being found guilty of any of that. And that that would be anything other than exercising his First Amendment rights. Prosecutors said Trump, those he targets, and his over 100 million followers understand the intent of his speech. I hope they do. (laughs) If you don't, you're a lunatic or an idiot or you woke up this morning for the first time. Trump's targeting creates a significant and immediate risk that witnesses will be intimidated or influenced and that attorneys, public servants, and other court staff will themselves become targets for threats and harassment. Kind of like, you know, Merrick Garland refused to give U.S. Supreme Court justices that were threatened 
He wouldn't give them any personal protection at their homes. Their families were threatened outside their homes. People were demonstrating with signs and screaming and horns in front of their houses. And one of them, a guy came from other state to Washington, D.C., and we find out later he came planning to kill a U.S. Supreme Court. They didn't do anything about this to try to prevent it. But now they're going crazy trying to stop Trump from just giving his mind. If people don't want to hear what he said, that's their right too. In this filing, they cite his repeated violations of a similar order in New York, as well as posts made this week after Chutkin temporarily suspended the order, including a comment Trump made about former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and his potential testimony in the case. Quote, some people would make that deal but they are weaklings and cowards and so bad for the future of our failing nation. Trump didn't say that. He wrote it in a social media post on True Social Tuesday of this week. I don't think that Mark Meadows is one of them, but who really knows? Trump capitalized on the court's administrative stay to, among other prejudicial conduct, send an unmistakable and threatening message to a foreseeable witness in this case. That's an allegation by Jack Smith. The American Civil Liberties Union, listen to this, the ACLU, one of the most liberal so-called civil liberties union that are supposed to protect our civil liberties union, but don't if you're conservative, they have backed Trump in his fight against the gag order. Writing in an amicus brief filed with the court, it is unconstitutionally vague and encompasses speech that could be relevant to Trump's 2024 presidential campaign. They want it like this. We want to take all the rights of communication away from anybody that is a Republican running for office. The only way we can beat them, we're confident, is if they can't be allowed by a judge to speak their minds. This may be, it's not really a case yet. It's developing. But there are a lot of people that feel like it may be the most important case of at least this decade because it is directly a situation where people in power, government, are doing their darndest to take away the civil rights of somebody that if those rights are quashed, may not be able to have enough to get Americans to elect them. You notice nobody said anything about what those on the left are saying, what those on the left have done and are still doing to try to paint Donald Trump as an insurrectionist. If this stuff is allowed to just go, to actually happen, we could be looking at the death of the First Amendment. And that's not a far-fetched conspiracy theory. It could be factual. 
In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country, making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding Captain Label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Walls are barriers. They divide, separate, segregate. We've seen walls before. Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. We designed smarter ways to detect motion for emergency dispatch in seconds. We create HD cameras so you could see what's happening in your home from anywhere. All powered by Fast Protect technology, exclusively from Simply Safe for faster police response. Because in here, your safety is the only thing that matters. Advanced home security, 24/7 professional monitoring. There's no safe like Simply Safe. CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CNN. An alphabet soup of lies, myths, and disinformation. For real nutrition, you need a full plate of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. That's a very timely bump to go back into because one of the biggest frauds in the alphabet soup that we call media is CNN. In just a second, I've got to tell you this first, but in just a second, I'm going to give you some CNN news that kind of illustrates how lost in the world of true media that network is. And it's sad because CNN was the very first um, cable news network. I had a really good friend that worked on a local television station, was an anchor in Monroe, Louisiana, that went to Atlanta when CNN was founded and he was their first anchor there. It's nothing like it was then at CNN. If you joined us late today, you didn't hear at the top of the show, um, I watched Sean Hannity interview Mike Johnson, the new House Speaker, all 41 minutes of it last night on Sean Hannity's show. And all of the allegations that have been flying around since Mike Johnson was mentioned as a possible Speaker of the House, and even while they were electing him, and of course since, Everybody on the left is attacking him. That's no big deal. Doesn't bother me. But much of the attacks that have been leveled against him, he answered in this interview with Sean Hannity. It was it was not in a studio. It was in an office. It was just Sean and Speaker Johnson sitting in chairs across from each other. And Sean, if you've ever watched him interview somebody, he always asked, the pertinent question at the right time, and he pulled no punches. 
I was amazed, even though I know Mike Johnson well, he's on this show all the time. Uh, He's a good personal friend of mine. He's my congressman in the Northwest Louisiana Congressional District, the 4th Congressional District. And so we interact with each other quite a bit. And I know him, but obviously I don't know him on a personal level like many do. I haven't ever worked with him, just worked with him several times on political matters that have to do with things up here in this part of the state and also interacting about this show. I was blown away. And I don't want you to miss it. So what I've done is I have grabbed that interview and it's total. And this show ends at about 11 o'clock straight up this morning. By 11.10, you will be able to go to truthnewsnet.org. That's our website. And on the front page, you'll see a picture of Mike up in the middle of the front page. And right below it is a video of that entire 41-minute interview last night. And we put it in the format where you can just click on it and watch it right there. But I don't want you just to do that. I want you to download the video, and I want you to text it, copy and paste it in a text, and send it to every friend of yours, and maybe even some folks that aren't friends, but you just want them to hear the truth coming out of the mouth of Mike Johnson because... I've already heard all kinds of allegations that I'd never heard about before he became House Speaker. The people on the left are scared to death already of Mike Johnson. 1110, you can come back and get that video at truthnewsnet.org. On to CNN and their issues. This is kind of like the CNN issue of the day. You remember what happened when we had this Hamas and attack, horrible attack uh, on Israel coming out of Gaza. 1,200 Israeli people died the first night. I call that a slaughter. In the middle of the night, no warning, no lead up to it. People go to bed. Some of them woke up, but many didn't. 1,200 of them didn't. And the fatalities are still creeping up. And a bunch of missing people We have people being held hostage. Americans were killed. We have, we don't know how many Americans that are still being held hostage. Of course, the news came out the next day that Israel had retaliated by shooting a rocket into a hospital in Gaza and killed 500 people. Innocent people. Israel blew them away. CNN was all over it. And that was no big deal. They're a news agency, right? But it came out the same day. That rocket wasn't Israeli. It wasn't fired by Israel. The rocket did not hit the hospital. It fizzled out in a parking lot. And if there were deaths, we still don't have an accurate number, but instead of 500 now, I think we're down to 24 or 25. When that became confirmed news, CNN never came back out. They were all over Israel for days. But guess what? CNN issued a formal correction yesterday. Yesterday. Now, wait a minute. 
October 7th to yesterday, the 26th, that's three weeks. <laughs> it was actually about two and a half weeks after the purported Israel blast. It was not Israel. It was a Hamas rocket that did it. Wow, I could not miss letting you hear about that. Now, somebody that we like a lot, Victor Davis Hanson. He's a great spokesman. He's a down-the-middle kind of guy. But he, like many of us, is very concerned about the militarization of America by politicians. I couldn't not show you this. Victor David Hansen. It doesn't do any good for the, the president to say, well, we're the United States, we're the strongest power. I'm quoting him verbatim in the history of civilization. That doesn't mean anything unless you are. And when you look at the $50 billion, a lot of it was small arms, but nevertheless, $50 billion in equipment we threw away in Afghanistan, or I should say handed over the Taliban, and then you see the $120 billion of munitions we're giving to Ukraine, and a lot of the stuff is off the books as far as economic support or other types of aid that's not really spoken about. And then you see what we're going to have to give Israel, although they're not, I mean, we're giving Israel air power munitions, and we're giving Ukraine more ground power munitions. Maybe they overlap, maybe they don't. And then when you see what China's saying about uh, Taiwan, and then you look at the fact that we're $33 trillion in debt. And all I can say is that after COVID and after the George Floyd and the woke movement, we decided we were going to defund the police and defund the Pentagon. So we, we actually cut in real dollars, the Pentagon, and we, you, we borrowed enormous amounts of money to redistribute lavish. Most of it was ill spent and we're in a terrible financial situation. And uh, we're, we're under arm given our commitments. In other words, our strategic commitments way outweigh our wherewithal. That being said, the history of this country, if you look at 1917 or 1941, we were more ill-prepared to meet those strategic debt demands than we are now. And it all hinges on at what point does this traditional American light click on that says, this is an existential period and you've got to now rearm to the teeth and you've got to change and you've got, and I can see that coming. And I think this country is very lax. It's a very strange country, as you know, but when it finally gets in its head, it has enormous powers of productivity. It's, it's labor participation rate is way under what it could be. There's a lot of labor that's not being used. There's a lot of capital that's not being invested and where it could be invested very quickly. And we could really ramp up very quickly if we wanted to. And I think we're going to do that. And I think there's a sense now that woke is over with the George Floyd is over with the COVID lockdown is over with it. None of it worked. And it's time to get back to looking at taking a hard look at our universities, our educational system, going back to assimilation, integration of different types of uh, ethnic groups, and closing the border and, you know, stepping back into reality rather than this two or three year fantasy. And I think someone who's 70 years old now and watched the United States, it still has that ability to recover and react very quickly 
And it always amazes me when it really wants to do something. And the, the amount of talent we have here and wealth, if we really want to do it. And something usually sets it off. If Hamas or Hezbollah or Iran do something like they did on October 7th, involving either hostages or Americans or Israelis again, I think it will set this country off. I really do. And I think we're already on that pathway anyway. I don't see anybody in the political realm who's saying we, 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 we can't spend this money. Everybody's talking about, I'm going to spend more money in defense than you. Or everybody's trying to say, uh, we're going to have to address the immigration problem. We're going to have to address the university problem. And I mean that from both sides of the aisle. I can't believe what the New York Times and CNN have been writing. I mean, it sounds like for a brief moment in their existence, they believe in America again, and they believe in deterrence, and they believe that the Arab world suffers from endemic anti-Semitism. And I don't, that's contrary to the whole woke DEI doctrine and gospel. Isn't it interesting? When you hear somebody like Victor Davis Hanson, he has an impeccable history. He's a statesman, a spokesman. He is not uh, far right. He's not far left. He understands the world and all of our government issues. He understands in context. Now, he mentioned a 70-year-old. He, he said, a 70-year-old today looking at this nation, we remember, because I just turned 70, we remember what it was like when John F. Kennedy was running for office and when he was assassinated and how America back then kind of just morphed into anything and everything the nation needed to be to be successful. I mean, let me even go back further than that, way before my time, World War II. Do you realize at the same time the United States of America was involved in a world war in Europe against Germany and the Nazi entity, whatever you want to call it. And also World War II in the Pacific, Japan. They slipped in thinking they can do what Iran is doing to us, thinking that while our leaders are too busy doing other things to pay attention to what they're doing. In other words, they think we were down. Have you noticed do you remember during the Trump four years how many horrible things we got involved in, war, rumors of war, a potential attack or two from our enemies overseas? None of that was acted out. None of it happened because we were strong. Our government was strong. Our economy was stronger than it ever had been before in history. We were in the right place. Americans felt good. More people employed than ever. More African Americans employed than ever. More women employed than ever. Unemployment was low. Wages went up. We had massive tax cuts. Our government revenue, even with tax cuts, zoomed off the chart. Nobody could understand it. And then as we reported to you yesterday, very quietly, we found out that in tax collections by our federal government last year, we had $300 billion disappear. Oh my gosh, 
it didn't disappear. Joe Biden raised taxes. The antithesis to that leftist lie has always been, if you raise taxes, there's a daisy chain effect. It doesn't mean more tax revenue is going to come in. And Joe Biden has proven it. Because of the tax increases, our economy, our gross domestic product went up a little bit. That's the top line. But folks, you don't live in your life off the top line. You live off of the top line. That's the money that comes in. And you subtract the money that you spend for everything you need and do in your life. And the bottom line, that's called profit. There's only two ways to impact the bottom line. A company, a government, or you at your house. You can increase revenue or you can reduce expenses. Those are the only two things that you have power over that you can change the effect, the positive or negative effects of your bottom line. See, Joe Biden raised taxes. He thinks, hey, that's a good thing. He has no clue about capitalism. He doesn't understand how Americans, average middle-class Americans live. He has no clue or he has no care or forethought about any of the changes that he made impacted you and I. He doesn't understand struggling to be able to pay rent, buy food. What are you going to do without this month to simply pay your bills, pay your rent? When you raise taxes in a government, it impacts the people who are living and these taxes impact. Why? Because top to bottom, when you raise taxes, Everybody pays more, which means they have less to spend on other things. And by the way, the things that they buy, they have to buy them from somebody. Those people are paying more taxes. Therefore, they've got to pass along the cost of what they're spending to the people they're selling to. And so revenues may go up top line. But the net goes down for everybody, which means individuals, corporations, the big ones, the little ones, they pay less in taxes. So Joe's several hundred billion dollars that he was counting on because he raised taxes, the taxes that would have been if the Trump tax base had been left alone, are gone away. It certainly helps when you have facts before you make choices and you do things and you know what you're doing when you do it. Oh, they hate Donald Trump. How would he be able to do something Joe Biden can't? Do you know Joe's still out there touting Bidenomics? And Bidenomics sucks. There is nothing good that anybody can credibly say about this economy. It sucks, and it's getting worse. And we're finding out more and more every month when we get these forecast. You know, we get these summaries of the previous quarter and things like uh, money, household money, uh, unemployment, 
people in the workforce. We get all these nuggets of, oh, look what Bidenomics has done. But have you noticed at the end of every next quarter, they're revising the numbers, the ones that they were hollering about being so good from 90 days ago? (laughs) They're revising them down. They've never revised them up. They're always lower than what they reported. Do you think that may have a little bit to do with something called manipulating numbers to look better than things really are? I think we may be living it. We haven't talked much about what's going on in the Middle East. Golly, we've got so many things. I've got an interview from the U.S. Senate. Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri He was interviewing one of HHS's managers, HHS, Health and Human Services. Javier Becerra is the secretary of HHS. That's the department that handles all of the people stuff regarding health care, and especially for our kids. You don't want to miss this. We've got about 40 minutes left in the show. We'll get it in, I'm certain. I'm not sure we'll be able to get it in in the next 20 or minutes or so, but we will get it in. You've got to stick around for that. News out of the Middle East. The Pentagon released a statement late yesterday reporting that our military has struck two sites in eastern Syria that are known to house Iranian-linked forces. Those two strikes came after several attacks on our troops in the region from forces linked to Iran. And the statement that came out From the Pentagon said, today at President Biden's direction, U.S. military forces conducted self-defense strikes on two facilities in eastern Syria that were used by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard and affiliated groups as well. These precision self-defense strikes are a response to a series of ongoing and mostly unsuccessful attacks against U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria by Iranian bank backed militia groups that began October 17th. And they continued, President Biden directed the attacks, according to the Pentagon, to make clear that the U.S. will not tolerate such attacks and will defend itself, its personnel, and its interests. The Pentagon said in their report, one U.S. citizen contractor died from a heart attack while sheltering from these attacks. In addition, 21 U.S. personnel received minor injuries, but they're all back on duty. Now, why do you think Joe Biden did that? Do you think it's because he wanted to? Put in context your thoughts on what I just asked you. Do you think Biden did that because he wanted to? I don't think he did it. I think The Pentagon, leaders at the Pentagon, maybe even the Secretary of Defense had to talk him into doing it. He would tell them, no, we're not going to do it. There are innocent civilians involved in this. We're not going to be known that way. That's one question for you. Second question, do you think it'll make a difference? Do you think it'll stop Hamas, Hezbollah, any of those people over there, do you think they'll stop? Do you think they really believe Biden is going to do anything drastic? If anything, my opinion, if anything in the way of response from Syria for this, 
I think they'll do more because he's shown absolutely no willingness or desire to hold any of their lawlessness as it pertains to the United States citizens and members of the military. He has not indicated he has any appetite to hold people responsible for what they did. 30-plus Americans, we're told, were slaughtered in the raid by Hamas when they were after Israelis. 30-plus. We know that a bunch of people have been killed. It may even be more than that, Americans. It may be less than that. We also know they brag about Hamas. They brag about the fact they're holding Americans hostage. You know why they're holding Americans hostage and they're licking their chops at having them? They saw what Joe Biden's willing to do for five Iranian thugs in U.S. jails. Joe Biden gave Iran access to $6 billion if they would release those hostages, and they did. In fact, one member of Hamas was caught talking to a media person, and in that conversation, this guy was asked, why are you taking Americans hostage? And he looked at the uh, reporter that asked him that, and he laughed, and he said, because the U.S. pays big money for hostages. Sounds like great leadership to me. What about you? Okay, I've thought it through. I want you to hear from Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. I want you to listen closely to this. Listen to the news and information, the statistics that he uses when he's interviewing this person in management, in HHS. And it has to do with kids, children, that the HHS, Department of Health and Human Services, have... I don't want to say taken, but they've been assigned to HHS as so-called unattached adults bring these kids to our southern border, and they don't know what to do with them after they get over here. They're put in the protective care of HHS. Remember that line as you listen to this. They're put in the care and protection of our Department of Health and Human Services. Senator Hawley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Ms. Marcos, can I just start with you? You testified a moment ago to Senator Butler that every child gets a Know Your Rights presentation. Is that correct? That is correct. Is that before or after you release them to labor traffickers? Senator, every child that comes into our care gets a Know Your Rights presentation as well as... Have you read these New York Times reports? These stories, the, the series of stories the New York Times has done on the children who are in your care, have you read them? Yes, I have. Have you read that children are scrubbing dishes, they are operating heavy machinery, they are delivering, delivering meals, they are harvesting coffee, they are working construction, they are working as housekeepers, they are working overnight shifts at plants where they are not paid, they are not going to school, they are not cared for, they are not giving meals, almost all of it illegally. Are you aware of that? That's a yes or no? Yes. Do the Know Your Rights presentation help them in those situations? 
Senator ORR. Uh, That's a yes or no, I think. I, Do you really think that you're helping these children by releasing them to labor traffickers and, yes, sex traffickers, 85,000 children whom you have no contact with? And your answer is we gave them a presentation before we turned them over to these people who are exploiting them on a scale not seen in this country for a hundred years, a century, a century. It's a disgrace in the United States of America. Let me ask you this. You did a, an audit, I noticed, where you gave yourself a clean bill of health. So just, just tell me this. Do you require sponsors to document their relationship with the child? Senator, we have a thorough vetting process. Do you require which... sponsors to document their relationship with the child? Yes, we go through No, you do not. You, you do not. Have you read the Senate's Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations reports on your office? There was one in 2016. There was one in 2018. There was one in 2020. There was one in 2022. Spanning administrations, what they found is you do not require sponsors to document their relationship with the child. You release them anyway. What about background checks? Do you require background checks on all adults in the household? In cases where the child is being released to their parents, we do not require um, background checks. But, Senator, I would Do, do you really require like background that. checks on all adults in the household in any case? Yes, in some cases we do. At what percentage of cases do you do background checks on the adults in the household? I, I don't have that number yeah. in front of me. Do you do home visits in all cases? You can actually see where these children are, are being released, who you, whose care you're putting them in? We do not do home visits in all cases. Senator, I'd really like the opportunity to talk about what we are doing. To you, I know what you're doing, and it's, it's incredibly and totally inadequate. And we can read about it in the New York Times. Let me, since you say you've read it, let's talk a little bit about that New York Times report, if we could. Here's a quote from the April 17th installment. Again and again, veteran government staffers and outside contractors told HHS, including reports that reached the secretary, that children appeared to be at risk. Did you warn the secretary that children were at risk? Senator, I'm in regular contact with the secretary. And Did the you warn him that children were at risk? Safety and well-being of children is our top priority. Did you warn him that children were at risk? I'm not going to get into the conversations I've had. You're with here the and you're under oath and this is an oversight hearing. And we need to know what you're doing because you're manifestly not doing your job. Did you warn Senator, him that I'm children were at risk? Do you believe that children are at risk? Let's start with that. Yes. Okay. Did you warn the secretary? Senator, I'm not going to get into the specifics of my conversation, but I would like the opportunity Why to Why wouldn't talk you about, warn the secretary that children were at risk? I would risk. like the opportunity to talk about what we Let's look at doing. what the secretary said to you. The other one, James. Yeah, that one. At least five HHS staff members said they were pushed out after raising concerns about child safety. Mr. Becerra, the secretary, told the ORR director, that's you, right, that if she could not increase the number of discharges, he would find someone who could. And then he went on to say that if Henry Ford had run his plants like this, he would never have become famous and rich. This is not the way you do an assembly line. Get the kids out, run them through, get them out to those sponsors, those traffickers. Why didn't you resign when he said this? Do you think that this is morally acceptable? Senator, I joined ORR in September of 2022. I 
believe that was reported prior to my arrival, but I cannot but speak This is from to, the article this year. I can't speak to what the secretary do you think that this is acceptable to run to, to run ORR like an assembly line and to release these children I to traffickers? I we do not run ORR like an assembly line. The safety and well-being of children is our top concern. And by Plainly statute, not. Plainly, it is not your top concern because you have managed to lose 85,000 of them. And the Times knows where they are, or two-thirds of them. And they're with labor traffickers. It's unbelievable. Let me just ask you this. How many kids right now, the 430,000 approximately, unaccompanied children have crossed the border under this administration? It's an astounding number. How many are you in regular contact with right now? Senator, we have a number of different providers across the country. Who but what, what's the number? What's the number? How many of you are you in? You said child welfare is your top concern. What's the number? I don't have the specific number. How can you not know? Because Why would you come to this hearing and not know? Um, respectfully, if you would like us to provide comprehensive case management to children after they're released from our care so we can report Respectfully, I would like you to do your job and not release children to human traffickers. Respectfully, that's what I would like. I'd like you not facilitate the largest child trafficking ring in American history. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. One would think maybe that Senator Hawley got a little too negative talking to this woman. But put in context, you heard this is the person that works directly for the Secretary of Health and Human Services. She manages the department that is totally responsible for making sure over 430,000 unaccompanied minors that have come across our southern border while Joe Biden's been president his allowing even one of those 430,000 to cross the border is a violation of federal law, and he's guilty, is Joe Biden, of suborning criminal actions, federal law-breaking, and his doing so is another federal law violation. Can you imagine? Can you imagine any department in our government losing track of at least 85,000 of those 430,000. And that's probably not the accurate number. It's probably higher. You can try to, as a media person, organization, you can try to dig in and get the HHS to give you other numbers. They won't give them to you. Why wouldn't they give them to you? Don't you think if they're doing a good job doing what they're supposed to do, that they would want to brag about the care they're giving these kids under law because after they get here, yeah, they're here illegally, but they've got to be taken care of. You would think that especially an adult, a father or mother that are working in HHS that are directly and indirectly responsible for this process would bust their britches to do anything and everything they could possibly do to take care of these kids. And if they hit roadblocks or if they just simply hit speed bumps in the process, they would care enough for the kids to go to whoever would be necessary 
and who would have the authority to make whatever changes needed to be changed. But this woman, she had no clue, and she is the boss of that. That is mind-boggling to me. I can't imagine. There's one thing that just blows me away. We have a really close family. Marianne and I have three children, six grandchildren. All of the grandchildren, all six of them, live within a 10-mile radius of where we live. And I told you that to tell you this. We're together a lot. We're involved with our kids. This morning in the Shreveport Times, in the sports section, we have twin granddaughters that are seniors in high school. We have another grandson who's a senior in high school. We have two grandsons that have already graduated, and the baby is a freshman in high school. But our family's athletic. We're involved in athletics. One of the twins, both of the twins play soccer. One of the twins is a stud, Grace. And the Shreveport Times did a really wonderful story about her and last Friday night's football game. Evangel Christian Academy's football team. Now, wait a minute. I thought you said she played soccer. She does. She's already getting college offers to play soccer at the next level. She loves soccer, but she loves athletics. She grew up, our family has always been involved with athletics. We've always been supporters of Evangel Christian Academy. Grace and her twin sister, they were going to Evangel football games when she was two years old. So she's been exposed to that. She always wanted to be able to kick an extra point in high school football. Our football team at Evangel Christian Academy is the subject of a series that's right now being played online. Amazon came in and shot professionally Hollywood people, shot eight episodes of last year's season for Evangel football. It's called God, Family, and Football. Amazon started a new free streaming app that you can go on. It's called Free, F-R-E-E-V, F-R-E-E-V-E-E. It's a free app. Download the app. Go to God, Family, and Football, and you can download all eight chapters of last year's show absolutely free. It'll blow your mind. They're shooting the second season right now. And I probably don't need to tell you that last Friday night's game when Evangel played a a rival, a district rival from 30 miles away and won the game 56 to nothing, they had a, a soccer player, a girl, who kicked two extra points. And she nailed them both when she kicked them. That made history in the state of Louisiana. And so the Shreveport Times this morning wrote an article, not just about her, but it was about Evangel Christian Academy. It was about our family, their mother. I guess it was 13 or 14 years ago, diagnosed with malignant breast cancer. She went 
uh, Corey's her name. She went through the whole debacle. Uh, she did chemotherapy, did radiation, um, had a mastectomy. And I don't need to tell you, as a family as close as we are, we were all in that with her husband, Scott, Corey, and the girls. 13 years now, Corey has been cancer-free. Uh, the sports writer is a family friend in some respects. And if you know me about my dealings with the media, well, you hear some of it here. But, uh, you know, I'm a former owner of two different arena football teams, and uh, this writer was around, and some of his stories were not very positive, so we have this love-hate relationship. But he made it very clear to tell the real story about Grace, and it's about Grace wanted to talk about how her mom has overcome a huge battle that scares most everybody that goes through it, scares them to death. And how she's so proud of mom. Mom's doing so very good. And Corey really is. And it's a miracle. I can't imagine. Corey would would have been when Corey, uh, let's see. I'm, I'm thinking of, that was 13 years ago. Grace is 18 now. So I couldn't imagine a scenario if her mom and dad Something happened in the country, and they had to get away, go to another country. And those twin five-year-olds ended up being left, not having parents, needing a place to go, looking around at whatever their surroundings were, and not having care provided for them. I can't imagine that. And the Biden administration... They say the number's 430,000 of these kids that were unaccompanied minors coming across the border. We know that if they give us a number, 430,000, it's probably 600, 800,000, or even a million. And they lost 85,000 of them. They have no contact. They've had no contact after the fact. What do you think happened? And could you be part of of a process, a machine, a government that would not only allow it to happen, but would actually work hard to make it happen. This administration, my friends, does not give a rip about the rule of law, about the goodness of American citizens, the rights of American citizens. It's all about the politicization of everything in Americans' lives. Everything. And taking control of those things in all of our lives that they want to control, and they're doing their best to steal it from us. And now we hear that 430,000 of these kids have come across and we're not even communicating with the caretakers that they, our government, put them in charge. Always get the truth on TNN, the Truth News Network. Find it exclusively at truthnewsnet.org. 
25 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began. Nobody puts baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dance. Yeah. Eight celebrities compete to become the real baby and Johnny. Work on my Johnny heads. Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5. You juvenile, mate. Everyone has one. The guy that's fun to be around, but he's dangerous to be around. You've got to keep him away from your things, like your tools, your gadgets, and your girlfriend. So before you get your juvenile mate around, get your lips around a Dare Ice Coffee. The real Arabica and Robusta Coffee Kick will tell you what to do. Hire a jumping castle. Hours of fun for kids of all ages. A Dare Iced Coffee Fix will fix it. The verdict is in. Judge Steve Harvey is a hilariously good time. What do you think she spent the money on? Lipo and a butt job. You got as long as you need to respond to that. Judge Steve Harvey. Tuesday on ABC. In a world of change, one thing remains constant. The bedrock of truth. Welcome to the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org You probably don't know this. You may know it. But California has proposed a ban on the sale and purchase of internal combustion Vehicles, In other words, doing away with gasoline and diesel-powered vehicles. And people will only be able to buy electric vehicles. Now, it hasn't been signed into law yet, but that never stops Californians and Gavin Newsom from touting it and promoting it and bragging about it. Well, guess what happened in the House of Representatives? John Joyce, representative from Pennsylvania introduced a bill, H.R. 1435, and it's called the Preserving Choice for Vehicle Purchases Act. He introduced it, which would block California's proposed ban on internal combustion vehicles. And guess what? (laughs) Just got word the bill passed. And so you're going to be able to, for at least time until (laughs) a worse, more powerful leftist Congress decides to do away with combustion vehicles, you can still go get your gasoline or your diesel engine vehicle. And even if you live in California, they can't stop you, for those of you that are listening from out there. Let's go back and do a little history check. When then-FBI Director Robert Mueller testified in the House Judiciary Committee, this is back in May of 2012, Republican Representative Elton Galaglia of California asked him about the threat of terrorists among those coming to the United States and crossing the southern border to get here. First of all, as it relates to the southwest border, said Galaglia, asked Mueller, do you see any growing evidence of Al-Qaeda or any other terrorist organization working to exploit our border with the attempt to launch another terrorist attack on our own soil? And, of course, he's talking about the 9-11 disaster. Mueller responded, indicating he was more concerned about Hezbollah 
doing that than he was about al-Qaeda. As to the southwest border and al-Qaeda, we have not seen an increase of effort by al-Qaeda to come across the southwest border, he said. On the other side, when you open the question up, other terrorist groups, I would say that we have a continuing concern about Iranian influence actors and Hezbollah. In fact, Mueller had testified already in the Senate Committee on Intelligence in February of 2005 about a Hezbollah fundraiser from Lebanon who had been discovered in Michigan, of all places. Mueller said in 2004, we had some success in uncovering individuals providing material support to Hezbollah. In Detroit, Mahmoud Yusuf Karani was indicted in the Eastern District of Michigan on one count of conspiracy to provide material support to Hezbollah. Karani was already in custody for entering the country illegally through Mexico. Did you get that? This terrorist was already in custody for entering the country illegally through Mexico and was involved in fundraising activities on behalf of Hezbollah. A staff report on 9-11 and terrorist travel published back in 2004 by the National Commission on Terrorist Attacks upon the United States, it provided, that report did, information about a smuggler who smuggled Lebanese nationals sympathetic to Hamas and Hezbollah into the United States. That was in 2004. In July of 2001, this comes from the report, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there's evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. One smuggler, said the report, smuggled Lebanese nationals sympathetic to Hamas and Hezbollah into the United States and relied on corrupt Mexican officials in Beirut, Mexico City, and Tijuana to facilitate their travel. Specifically, this guy said, this smuggler, obtained Mexican tourist visas from an official of the Mexican embassy in Beirut to facilitate the travel of humans coming to Mexico and going through Mexico to the United States. The smuggler was charged with human smuggling and sentenced to 11 months in prison. After serving his sentence, he was deported to Mexico where he was arrested along with several other members of his smuggling ring. In May of 2006, the Congressional Research Service reported in 07, a Mexican judge reportedly sentenced this smuggler to 14 years in prison for his role in the smuggling ring and on organized crime charges. So after discovering that Lebanese nationals sympathetic to Hamas and Hezbollah had been smuggled into the U.S. from Mexico, did the U.S. secure its southern border? No. Not even one little bit over each of the past four years. Customs and Border Protection has encountered an increasing number of individuals that are on the terrorist screening data set 
trying to sneak into the U.S. between the ports of entry on the Mexican border. This data set, according to Border Patrol, includes known or suspected terrorists and additional individuals who represent a potential threat to the U.S., including known affiliates of watch-listed individuals. In fiscal 2019, Border Patrol did not encounter a single individual on this terrorist watch list that was trying to sneak across the border. In 2020, it encountered three. In 2021, the number went up to 15. In 2022, it jumped to 98. In fiscal year 2023, which ended last month, September 30th, it encountered 169. 169. This February, the State Department issued its country reports on terrorism 2021. What did it say in that report about Hezbollah? Quote, Lebanon-based and Iran-backed terrorist group Hezbollah continued its long history of activity in the Western Hemisphere, including fundraising by its supporters and financiers in places like the tri-border area where the borders of Argentina, Brazil, and Paraguay meet. This is from the State Department. Hezbollah's supporters generate funding through illicit activity and donate undetermined amounts to Hezbollah in Lebanon, which uses the money to advance its broader agenda. In recent years, Hezbollah's supporters and members have been identified in Chile, Colombia, Panama, Peru, and the United States. So, a reporter named Jenny Terre, Daily Caller News Foundation, published a reply this week that Customs and Border Protection had issued a memo on October 20th, warning that, quote, foreign fighters from the Middle East might try to enter the United States from Mexico. It said San Diego Field Office Intelligence Unit assesses that individuals inspired by or reacting to the current Israel-Hamas conflict may try to travel to or from the area of hostilities in the Middle East through circuitous transit across the U.S. southern border. Foreign fighters motivated by ideology or mercenary soldiers of fortune may try to obfuscate travel to or from the U.S., to or from countries in the Middle East, through Mexico. So, here's a salient question to ask. So, how many Hezbollah or Hamas terrorists are there in the United States today? How many? Since our southern border is not secure, many people cross it illegally every day. Our federal government has no way, absolutely no way to answer that question. How many? How many are there? How many are here? We don't know. Folks, that's going to end the show today. I want to thank you for joining us every day. You're why we do what we do, and we couldn't make it without you. Spread the word. Don't forget, in just minutes from now, 
you will be able to download that entire interview between new house speaker Mike Johnson and Fox News's Sean Hannity, an interview that took place last night. It is full of answers to questions that you and many like you have. I urge you to watch it, and then we set it up in a format that you can download and share it with your friends. You guys have a great weekend. Saturday bullet points tomorrow, and we'll see you back here Monday morning, 9 to 11 a.m. every Monday through Friday at TNN Live. Have a great one.